Well, Uvalde, today we're finding out a bit more, at least. Uh, there's grief, obviously, after the shooting deaths of 19 kids in that primary school, two teachers, parents now. Uh, there's there's word emerging about just what happened, the horror show uh, of that day. Uh, and police are facing criticism, authority, law enforcement authorities, for over how long it took to put a stop to the gunman uh, in Uvalde. It lasted more than 40 minutes and ended when uh, the shooter was killed by a border patrol team. U.S. Border Patrol Chief Raul Ortiz says his officers did what they could. Our officers, uh, when they engaged, uh, they were doing everything they could. There are broken uh, windows where agents were trying and officers and law enforcement personnel were trying to evacuate some of the children. So a police force couldn't stop him. One man with a gun, two guns, one gun. Um... And then they talk about guns not being a problem, or they talk about arming teachers as if that would be a good idea when a whole police force couldn't stop this guy. Um, gun control, of course, has been a hot topic the past few days, as it should be. Today, Senator Ted Cruz, who is always one to avoid talking about guns no matter what, was confronted by a reporter, Mark Stone, from Britain's Sky News and asked about gun control. It was quite the exchange. There are 19 sets of parents who, who are never going to get to kiss their child goodnight again. Is this the moment to reform gun laws? You know, it's, it's easy to go to politics. But it's important. It's at the heart of the issue. I, I get that that's where the media likes to go. No, it's not. It's where many of the people we've talked to here like to go. The proposals from Democrats in the media, inevitably, when some violent psychopath murders people... A violent psychopath who's able to get a weapon so easily. 18-year-old with two... AR-15. If you want to stop violent crime, the proposals the Democrats have, none of them would have stopped this. But why does this only happen in your country? I really think that's what many people around the world just, they cannot fathom. Why only in America? Why is this American exceptionalism so awful? You know, I'm sorry you think American exceptionalism is awful. I think I, this I think, aspect, I think, I think this I, aspect you know of it. Why is it that people come from all over the world to America? Because it's the freest, most prosperous, safest country on earth. Maybe the the freest, maybe the most. Mark Stone there of Sky News in England confronting Senator Ted Cruz today. Quite the exchange. Ted, of course, refusing, as always, to talk about guns, even if it were part of the problem, not the problem, but uh, a debate that will continue, no doubt. One thing that really struck me over the past uh, 24 hours talking about this, interviewing people about this, uh, was just the number of people who talked about having to explain it to their children. Uh, even the Prime Minister yesterday talked about having to explain it to his eight-year-old. Jimmy Kimmel, the late-night TV host, taped a special segment alone on stage last night before the audience was seated to talk about uh, the shooting. He has a son, five years old, and he got choked up as he started his monologue. Here we are again on another day of mourning in this country. Once again, we grieve whose lives have been ended and whose families have been destroyed. Jimmy Kimmel there last night, a little bit of his monologue before his show began. Uh, Of course, mentioning, of course, his five-year-old. And that brings us to our next guest. Catherine Williams is a child and adolescent, adolescent psychologist and professor of psychiatry at UC San Diego, and she joins me now. Thank you so much for your time tonight. Thanks for having me. You can just hear the emotion from the adults, let alone, uh, but I've heard so much over the past few days about parents talking about having these really tough conversations with their children. Um, given the number of, I mean, when these school shootings happen, how difficult is it for parents 
to address the issue, especially with younger kids? It's extraordinarily difficult. Part of the issue is for parents, they're also fearful and scared of sending their kids to school. So, you know, when your your child is afraid of the dark, uh, parents can, can help their child quite easily, right, in terms of, you know, feeling safe and, and comfortable. But when parents themselves are worried about sending their kids to school and parents themselves are feeling uh, distressed, traumatized, then it becomes even more difficult for, for them to try to have a calm conversation with their children. I imagine they sense, they sense your mood too, right? You're not yes. providing that, that sort of stability that they're looking for. Absolutely. Children look at their, the adults around them and take their cue on how to react emotionally, how to react, you know, in terms of what they think and how they feel about a situation. And so when you have 19 children, two teachers dead, um, you know, doing something that all children do, they go to school, then, of course, when they look at their parents, their parents are also distraught. And, and so that's, that's the extra challenge here. You know, we're in a different country. Sometimes Canada can feel far away when these things happen a little bit. Uh, what advice do you have for parents here when maybe it's not, you know, we, we don't do the same kind of um, drills, for instance, in Canadian schools, at least as far as I know, in most. Uh, so how would you, but, but the kids are still seeing the same images. They're still hearing the same stories. They're still seeing the same faces of those other children who've, who've, who've been killed. What would you suggest to, to parents in a different country on how to explain it to their kids, and what would the difference be? You know, this is quite similar. It, it strikes me uh, last, last month when Russia invaded Ukraine, we mm-hmm. also had the same where, you know, when, when there's a lot of media coverage, 24-7 news coverage, and it's pervasive. Kids have cell phones these days. They have iPads. And so they see, and, you know, when they're kind of looking at YouTube, they'll see headlines pop up, and sometimes they'll inadvertently, you know, click on something, and they'll see images. Um, and so, you know, when we talked about Ukraine, it was the same thing of children feeling, you know, I had children coming into the clinic feeling very stressed from the images they saw there. Here, you have a very similar phenomenon where kids are seeing graphic images of parents, you know, just distraught outside of a school. Um, and so whenever it is repeated images, especially graphic images over and over and over again, um, that is particularly, that can be harmful for children, and it can actually cause what's called secondary trauma, where they themselves experience, you know, the traumatic symptoms as if they were there at that school that day. And so it's really important for parents to limit the media coverage that the children have, and that's a function of children um, are affected by graphic images much more than adults. They, it lasts in their brain longer, and so it can cause longer-lasting distress. I imagine, too, just coming out of the pandemic, kids are already in a situation where life hasn't quite been uh, what, life has already been a bit, a bit stressful. Yes, um, very, very good point. So, you know, what we see is in the last couple years, children have had to deal with this unprecedented global pandemic where it's an unknown virus. It's, they're fearful for their lives. Um, There's a high level of stress. Many children in America, we, we have a million parents, grandparents who have died. So many children have lost family members or neighbors, um, you know, they have, you know, they've been hit financially, and so there's food insecurity. So lots of stress that have occurred, and it's chronic stress lasting over two years. And when that happens, then their coping skills are also more limited. And, and then you add on top of that another, you know, life, you know, they're, they're fearing for their lives when they go to school. 
And so, and it's not just with the kids, but with the parents. Parents are also, you know, when you think about it, if you're stressed at home, when you go to work and there's added stress, you are more likely to lash out. You're more likely to not be able to deal with what's happening. And that's what we're seeing here is chronic stress added on top of another trauma. And when you have multiple traumas added on top of each other, you, you basically have a family system that has less coping skills to deal with the stressors that come to them. I'm speaking with Catherine Williams, a child and adolescent psychologist and professor of psychiatry at UC San Diego. We're talking about uh, just the impact on kids of the, these horrific images, this horrific event in uh, Uvalde, Texas, and just how to talk to them, maybe perhaps even how to n- make sure they're okay or see if they're okay. And we'll get to that after this. This half hour, we're speaking with Catherine Williams, a child and adolescent psychologist, professor of psychiatry at UC San Diego. We're talking about uh, just coping. All of us, I think, are having trouble coping with some of the horrific images of grief and loss that we've seen emerging from Uvalde, Texas, after this latest school shooting in which 19 children and two teachers were killed. Um, Catherine, how do you recognize what should parents be looking out for? Because I I guess all kids are different, right? When it comes to how they absorb these things, how they watch them, do they see them? So what should parents be looking out for as, as, say, warning signs that perhaps um, their children or their child is having trouble coping with with this one? You're right that kids react differently. And so the main thing would be to look at any behavioral changes or mood changes so if you have a child who normally is really outgoing and goes out and you know, hangs out with their friends often and now are socially isolated or staying in their, their rooms more, that's, that's a cue. You've got a kid who typically stays in the room and now they're, they're out you know, and, and outside the house and not coming home for long lengths of time. Um, that's a cue. So you, you really want to look at any kind of changes that are atypical for your child. Now, despite that, there are also some basic foundational things that we look for, like low mood, long bouts of crying, um, you know, changes in appetite, changes in sleep, if they're unable to sleep at night, um, unable to fall asleep. Those are some basic signs that we do look for, for increased anxiety or um, depression. You, there is a there is a list. I mean, we spoke about this last time, but there is there is sort of a checklist of things you should be doing to try to make sure that you're creating an environment whereby you're you're maximizing the ability of, of not only I guess not only your children but you too to cope with these sorts of stressors. Yes. Um, so that's what you want to do. Is is you know we, what we don't want to do in life is a- avoid all all things that make us stress, right? Or even avoid traumas. Um, you want to work through the pain, not avoid the pain. And that is the way, that's the pathway to resilience. And so at both parents, you know, parents and their children, the best thing to do is to acknowledge the pain that's there, acknowledge their feelings, and so that you may model that for your child by saying, you know, mom's feeling, you know, really scared for those families in Texas or really worried for them. You know, how are you feeling? And when you do that, you're modeling for your child, hey, it's, it's okay. Like, actually, mom, mom's scared, too. It's okay for me to feel scared. Um, and, and it's okay for me to talk about my feelings. And so you, you don't want them to avoid acknowledging their feelings. Um, and then what you do want to do is, what do we do then? What do, what do we do with these feelings that we have, these strong feelings? And so you want to model for them how to cope with it. So you can say, you know, mom's feeling really worried. I'm, I'm you know, really really nervous right now, I think I'm going to go take a walk or take some deep breaths or do a mindfulness or meditation exercise. 
Um, and so when you do that, and you, know, you can ask your child, would you like to join me? You know, if you have a teen that, that you're talking to about this, I'm going to go for a walk along the beach. Would you like to join me? And so you're modeling, again, how you cope with those stressors. And you've also mentioned just about reassuring them about their safety, uh, you know, m- making sure that, that, you're, that the reassurance is there as well. Yes, and, and actually I'm so glad you bring that up because that's really um, the crux of trauma response, trauma treatment, is that's why, you know, when a, uh, someone comes out of a burning building and you carry them out, the first thing you say is you're safe. So you always want to tell, you know, when someone is, is um, really scared or really anxious, about images of or the knowledge that 19 kids have died that day. You want to tell your child you're safe. When they're anxious and they're fearful, what they're really thinking deep down is, Mom, you know, are you going to be, are you going to be safe going to work? Am I going to be safe going to school? So you do want to reassure them you're safe. You want to point out to the everyday heroes, the help, helpers. You want to say, you know, your principal and your teachers have been working extra hard this week to make sure that your school is safe. Um, they're there for you, and and reassure them that that they are safe. As for the rest of us, because I think all of us, and I imagine you too, um, you know, you're in the states. I imagine you too. Each time these things happen, probably have to figure out your emotions and and the you know sort of the the grief or you know, the sadness, sometimes the anger. You know, how could this have happened? Uh, yeah. How do you what do you recommend to the to the rest of us who who watch these things? I mean, obviously, in in my position, I watch a lot more than I probably should. But um, you know, how are we supposed to cope with the, the sort of anger and sense of frustration and helplessness when these things happen? Yeah. So there's there's two main points that I would like to to say for this. The first one is, mm-hmm. and you mentioned it, media uh, hygiene. There's no more time that's so important than after a huge traumatic event like the war you know, a couple months ago or the shooting, this mass shooting. And so what you want to make sure is adults, too, need to limit you know, watching repeated or you know, over and over and over again, reading stories over and over and over again. Of course, you want to be aware and knowledgeable, but you do want to limit how much you're watching. And if you're noticing that you yourself are feeling really down, really depressed, irritable, really anxious, um, then that's, that's that cue that, okay, I need to just limit a little bit of what I'm, wa- what I'm watching. Perhaps change a little bit of, instead of watching coverage of mm-hmm. the mass shooting, uh, you're reading articles on how to you know, find support or how to help the people who are there. You know, donating to GoFundMe um, campaigns can feel empowering. Sending messages of support to the children and to the teachers there at the school can also help make you feel a little bit of control over a very uncontrollable situation. And then the second thing I want to mention is, you know, everybody has their own sets of coping strategies, and that's really your resilience reservoir. And there's no more time than now to make sure that you tap into that. And so reminding yourself, you know, we all get very busy and stressed, and we forget to exercise or do things that are healthy for us. So you have to be really mindful and aware to say, this is a really traumatic, stressful time. How do I... You know, what are, what are my own personal healthy coping strategies? And for me, because I'm extroverted, I turn to my friends. And so right now I've got a group, you know, a thread group where we send each other, you know, words of support to each other. And that's helpful for me. For somebody else, it may be reading. It may be uh, mindfulness, deep breathing, uh, watching movies, talking to a, a family members. And so you really just want to be aware and to make sure that you take the time to do that. I suppose these days it's so easy just to spend hours on 
social media, for instance, yes. looking at stuff. And that must be something to avoid. If avoiding uh, broadcasts and so on, social media must be another one that we have to watch out for. Absolutely. Catherine Williams, as always, thank you so much. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say to that end, it may be helpful because when we, we scroll through, sometimes hours go by and you forget. <laughs> Excuse me. And so it may be helpful to set an alarm, you know, to, to let you know, okay, it's time. Your hour's up. Yeah, your, your half an hour of, of, of rage on Twitter is over. Yes, yes I, I agree. Yes. Catherine Williams, as always, thank you for your advice. Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for having me.